Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today this is episode 18 of the bowery boys the city of spooks hey it's the bowery boys hey bowery boys is brought to you by euro cheapo euro cheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in europe now with hotels in new york city on the web at eurocheapo.com Hello, and welcome to the Bowery Boys. My name is Tom Myers. And I'm Greg Young. And this is a special creepy edition of the Bowery Boys, as if we're not normally creepy enough, I suppose. (laughs) Well, I think uh, hopefully we'll be more creepy in this episode. This is our special (laughs) New York City ghost stories episode. We literally have our lights down in our recording studio. We have candles, pumpkins. Right. Right. (laughs) It's about as creepy as a scented candle from Crate and Barrel can be, but nonetheless... (laughs) We're trying, we're trying. Atmosphere. Anyway, so this will be a little bit different. If this is our first first podcast with us, this is a little bit different than what we (laughs) normally do. This is a little bit mixture of fact and legend that you'll be hearing. But we're trying to get in the mood here to look at New York from a different angle. So New York is actually a place that's famous for ghosts. Uh, in pop culture, at least, uh, things like scary movies like Audrey Rose, The Entity, Dark Water, um, even like Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters, who are you yes. gonna call? And you know, in New York State, of course, is famous for ghosts with Amityville Horror and, of course, Sleepy Hollow. Right, but I mean, living here in New York, do you? I'm asking you. Yes, Greg. Uh-huh. Do you find uh, this to be a very like apt setting, appropriate setting for ghosts? I just don't. I don't feel the spirit if well, you were walking around. Well, it's un- you know you don't have haunted houses, although we're about to tell you about a haunted house or two. But we don't. You know, it's not a traditional setting for ghost stories. Right. I mean, I tend to think of you know ghost like you know, Victorian mansions and weeping willows blowing in the wind. We we don't have that. But so. what you do have is you have billions and billions. Of people who come through here over the decades, what you have are billions over decades and decades and decades of people. Okay. Like that's a lot of people wow. who have come through New York through one you know one way or another, and many historical figures. So what happens is you're going to have these, and many of these people have passed on and, right here in New York City. In so. fact, a majority of those people have passed on. <laughs> <laughs> but but some of them have right here in the city. Right? And uh, some of the ghost stories that we're telling you about are actually famous figures who are still with us in spirits, so to speak. So uh, these stories are legendary New York stories, probably the most famous New York City stories. So whether you believe in ghosts or not, it, it's irrelevant because this these stories themselves are also kind of history because they've been passed down literally from decades and centuries. Right. And we are incorporating, of course, historical details in the retelling of these stories. They're little historical nuggets wrapped around a spooky story. And at the end of this podcast, we're going to tell you a few places to go where you can possibly see a ghost yourself. So stick around. Here come your stories. Wrap yourself up in a blanket and... uh, Light a candle. And grab a drink and uh, get ready for some spooky stories of New York City. (laughs) 
am sufficiently creeped out. Chilled to the bone? Okay. Chilled. And I guess we should tell the listener as well that we haven't actually rehearsed this part. No. As opposed to other podcasts. I don't really know what you're about to no, say. And I don't know your ghost stories either. So we're, we're literally kind of telling these to each other as well as to you guys. Right. So we'll be reading I each other's reactions. Yes. Yes. Okay, so, so where are you going to take us? Let's hear about a creepy old ghost woman and oh. former ghost prostitute, shall we? Let's do. Well, allegedly, one of the most haunted locations in all of New York City is this place called the Morris Jamel Mansion. Uh, most of you don't know this by name, but you'll know a few of the characters that have passed through this house as I start talking about them. Uh, it's in Washington Heights. Uh, that is the most northern you can get in Manhattan, but you can still right. get there on a sea line. It's the oldest standing house in Manhattan, and it's open as a museum, and you can go there anytime you want. But after you hear my story, you may be too scared to go. Mm. Anyway, the house was first owned by a British colonel. His name was Colonel Roger Morris. However, the Morrises fled during the Revolutionary War, and George Washington took over the house and then made it base uh, during the Battle of Harlem Heights. In 1810, the house was bought by a French wine buyer. His name was Stephen Jamel and his wife, Eliza Jamel. Eliza was one of these New Yorkers that you would cast in Dynasty today. She was like, she painted the town red wherever she went. She was a former prostitute in Rhode Island, unknown to her husband until many years after their marriage. On a trip to Paris, she would actually befriend Napoleon. And she was notorious wow. there for being for being driven out of France and coming back to the U.S. Because she was so, she she was so wild. Out? She got kicked out of France, yes. But she came back to New York where she basically spent most of her husband's money. He died in 1832, falling from a carriage, they say. But it's heavily inferred that Eliza actually had some kind of hand in his death which I shall tell you in a second. Um, within months, she married the former vice president and the murderer of Alexander Hamilton, Aaron Burr. He squandered her money in a lot of controversial land investments, so, so she promptly divorced him. And then this basically became an old spinster, a sort of great expectations, Miss Havisham, mm. you know, with, you know, she never left her house, cobwebs everywhere. Finally, she died in 1865. However, some say she never left her house. The actual the curators of the Morse Jamel Museum have actually claimed that she's been seen by people who visit the museum. There is a report in 1964 of a group of school children there who were there on a field trip. They arrived early and, like children, were noisy. Uh, so an elderly woman in a dark purple dress came out onto the porch and told the children to shut up. Later, when the museum was opened, they asked the, the tour guide about the woman, who didn't know who, you know who they were talking about. As they entered a room with a painting of Eliza on the wall, however, the children confirmed that she was actually the person who had appeared to them on the steps. A seance was conducted then later in the 60s, where they claimed to have actually spoken to Stephen Jamel, the husband, who right. died on a quote-unquote from a carriage ride. Jamel claims he didn't die in a carriage accident, but in the result of being stabbed with a pitchfork. Eliza apparently removed his bandages and let him bleed to death. So according to the seance, he was murdered by Eliza. As visitors walk through the house now, or, you know, at any time, a voice can be heard coming through, sometimes coming through a grandfather clock. She speaks through this clock. <laughs> She also raps upon the floor. <laughs> kind of speechless over here. I'm it's creepy. It, yeah. No, you're like you got. I see the goosebumps on your on mm. your flesh. Uh, she also raps upon the floor at all times during the day. Some could say it's a boiler or a air conditioner, but you know it could be her cane. Ghost hunters have actually visited the house for years and found all sorts of 
curious, strange phenomena going on. And Eliza's not the only ghost there, apparently. The house saw, you know, several revolutionary soldiers during the war. And one soldier is in a painting. And it has been reported that the soldier in the painting steps out of the painting and appears to people on occasion when you're alone. So if you would like to go to the Morris Jamel house, I'll put some information on the website. they've got great artwork. (laughs) So that's that's it for Miss Eliza. So you could go... Today, have there been any recent uh, ghost sightings? Do well, we? you know, I I believe that the cu- the curators will probably tell you that there have been, but you know, they use that to sort of drive people to their Lure houses. And I mean, even in, if you don't see a ghost there, it's actually like a really, it's a really lovely, well preserved manner. So, what do you got wow. for me? I'm now but after I'm, that, I'm you know, I'm ready for a good fright. <laughs> On April nineteenth, nineteen ninety five, a federal building in Oklahoma City was destroyed in a domestic terrorist attack. Just days after the bombing, America discovered the perpetrator was right-wing extremist Timothy McVeigh, whose mindset and values are still very present today. It's an American tragedy, but one I still remember very vividly. But there is so much more to the story than what you might remember. Take a deeper look into this moment of history with the podcast Homegrown OKC hosted by Jeffrey Tubin and based on his book. The Homegrown OKC podcast is about better understanding the political environment in our country today. In particular, I found fascinating all the original archival footage used in the show, sounds which brought me back to that time, but with a richer understanding of events. These episodes were thrilling to listen to. That's Homegrown OKC. To listen, search for Homegrown OKC in your podcast app. That's Homegrown OKC. Well, speaking of ghost houses, Mm -hmm. I think that we should turn to some of the houses of Broadway. And actually to the phenomenon, first of all, called the ghost light. Mm -hmm. What is the ghost light? The theater is already a spooky place where you've got adults playing make-believe well, you on have, stage yeah. before hundreds of people. Think of all the seats for hiding, Trap the lobby, doors and the like, doors. Yeah. Think of the balcony, mm-hmm. the hallways around it, backstage, set pieces on rollers. And think of the stage with the trap doors. The space just sort of echoes with the laughter and the great monologues and the right. applause of thousands of performances and thousands of performers. And then there's the silence and the stillness and the darkness of the theater when the crowds have left. But yes. but yes. the stage is not dark. Okay, it's never dark. Oh, you're right. They always have a like a single a, right a single because light every theater on. turns out right has a ghost light that's okay. burning on stage throughout the night. And according to ancient tradition, it, it keeps the bad spirits out. I did not know that was for ghosts. Right. So <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. Well, you see, I mean, if you stick around, you'll see a light bulb brought out at oh, the sure, end of, of the course. at the end of the show but did you know that it stayed on all night i guess so i guess that's you know the, the lights of broadway i didn't know they stayed on inside as well as out so going to broadway okay. the new amsterdam theater where today in 2007 you could head to see mary poppins mm-hmm. if you were so lucky we need to go back to the day of Olive Thomas. Olive Thomas. Okay. Yes, she came to New York to be famous in 1910, like 
so many other girls with big dreams. She actually won the most beautiful girl in the city contest uh, and ended up posing for the cover of the Saturday Evening Post. Mm -hmm. In 1915, she became a Ziegfeld girl, and she was only 21 years old. So She's making it. She was really making it. Olive had become a star mm-hmm. and even kind of a, a naughty pinup star. She, she was married to Jack Pickford as well, the brother of Mary oh, Pickford. Okay. And they were celebrating their second honeymoon in Paris uh, in 1920. Mm-hmm. Well, Jack was a little bit of a boozer and a womanizer. And well, while they were in Paris... She ended up sticking a bunch of mercury bichloride pills shaped like little coffins mm-hmm. into her mouth after a night of parting, and that was the end of Olive. Olive. Oh, my goodness. Shaped like little coffins? Yes. Yeah, so pills? It was shape of, of, wow. They so. were morbid little pills, but that wasn't really the end of Olive Thomas. Mm-hmm. In fact, soon after that, strange things started happening immediately at the New Amsterdam Theater. She started to come and visit and, mm-hmm. and waltzed around, traipsed about the stage. Stage hands. It's interesting that Olive really started appearing to men. Oh, so a flirt even she in the other a, afterlife. A flapper, yeah. <laughs> uh, stage hands started reporting seeing Olive backstage in her whole Follies regalia, mm-hmm. you know, her beaded dress with a beaded hat and a sash. Mm-hmm. And she was always carrying with her a big blue bottle. They think that perhaps this was an echo of the bottle that held her little coffin. Oh, pills. that's cool. If we flash forward now to the 1990s, Disney mm-hmm. bought that theater yes. after it went through a couple incarnations. Mm-hmm. And started to renovate it. It was 2 o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. in the mid-90s, during the renovation process, when the night watchman was actually going through doing his nightly check with his flashlight, looking mm-hmm. behind seats and backstage, walking around. He was walking across the stage, actually, when his flashlight fell upon a woman standing before him in a green beaded dress with a green hat and carrying uh-huh. a blue bottle. And he... He didn't know the legend or anything, and he yelled after her, and she started. She turned, she walked away from him, and he kept yelling after him, saying, where are you going? And she walked straight through the wall. And this was a, a, a New Yorker guy. I mean, he wasn't, he's not And this was a few years to, ago. We're talking about 10 years ago, yeah. Wow. He called at 2.30 in the, in the morning, uh, the man who was actually in charge of this entire uh, renovation process, Dana Amendola. Mm-hmm. And this is all documented and called him at 2.30 in the morning and said, this is what happened. Well, since then, mm-hmm. actually, Dana Amendola has become kind of a, an expert in Olive. He, he, oh. he became sort of obsessed, as did everybody backstage. And mm-hmm. even the cast of The Lion King became very aware of her and sort of wow. like, you know, decided to just get kind of used to Olive. She's part of the theater. She's almost part of the cast. You know? <laughs> she wear one of those Julie Tamar costumes, maybe? <laughs> well, actually, we should note that the Lion King is no longer there. It's Mary oh. Poppins now. Oh, so maybe oh, right, she's right, right, flying right. around with a, you know, <laughs> umbrella or something. But but she has appeared to the workmen during the renovations in 96 and 97. They, they've they actually hung some portraits of her backstage. Two portraits of her are backstage. And just to keep her happy, mm-hmm. the cast and crew actually say, like, hi, Olive. Good night, Olive. Hello, Olive, when they what? come and go. And she, you know, she tends to be a sort of peaceable spirit 
about the backstage. She has caused a couple commotions. She's, she's shaken a couple sets a few times. She got mad when they were coming in with a benefit. But but for the most part, she doesn't play too many pranks. And uh, one last creepy thing about yes. Olive. Upstairs, there's a part of the inside of the New Amsterdam Theater um, that's up in the attic. It's no longer used, but it used to be like a, a sort of walkway, a glass-bottomed runway, uh-huh. really, way up high. That flappers could walk across and the crowd underneath, well, gusts of wind would blow oh, up and their skirts, skirts would okay. go up and everybody underneath. Uh-huh. Olive has been seen by people upstairs who were working in that section floating where the walkway used to be. Oh. Walkway As if taken. she's still walking there. So Mary Poppins <laughs> may be floating through the air and on stage, but Olive, we could say, is behind the curtain. Oh. So, I mean, her ghost skirts blow up in the air at the same time as she floats along. That's right. crazy. Flapper in the afterlife. That is a good one. And, and if you're buying tickets for Mary Poppins, it's something to look around the corner of your eye. You never know what you're going to see. Yeah, well, say. I mean, you know. Well, for our third ghost story, we're going to go back to plug another podcast, if you don't mind. Uh, our old friend Peter Stuyvesant. Ooh, now, Peg Leg Pete. Uh, to recap, he was the leader of the of Dutch New Amsterdam colony, which is now downtown Manhattan. And he was brought over by the Dutch West India Company to kind of knock some sense into the colony. When the British took over the colony in 1664, Stuyvesant bought a farm outside of the city in present-day East Village. The border of his farm, what from the Bowery, what is today the Bowery, all the way over to the East River. And you might recall that we said that he's buried in the East Village in a church called the St. Mark's on the Bowery. What we did not tell you mm-hmm. is that many people believe that Peter Stuyvesant may still be hobbling around his old farm, even though it isn't there. Mm-hmm. His body's buried in the crypt of St. Mark's, and there have been many strange occurrences, almost since the moment he was buried and put into the ground. If you'll recall, Peter had a wooden leg, a peg leg. For decades, employees and parishioners of the church have claimed that the sound of his peg leg scraping against the, against the floor can be heard. The first sighting of his ghost was actually documented Get this, 1774. The old Stuyvesant farm had burned down, and many witnesses actually reported an angry, peg-legged man stomping around the charred ruins at the time. The old books are, like, they're full of these odd sightings of of Peter, these old legends, in an undead and, like, spectacularly perturbed state, because he's Peter Stuyvesant. He's always angry. Right, worked up. Yeah, and his trademark white ruffles. Now, St. Mark's is on 10th Street and 2nd Avenue. It was built over the chapel that was originally owned by Stuyvesant, and that's where he's buried now. In the mid-1860s, 2nd Avenue was being cut up through the area because they were parceling off his old farm. Uh, It was 2nd Avenue was being cut up through the area just east of the church. And practically every day, workmen heard the sound of the church bells ring, even though nobody was in the church. The bells would only ring when someone got close to the St. Mark's crypt, where his remains were. One night, according to this book that I found called Historic Haunted America, fabulous little stories to it, Peter couldn't take the construction anymore, so he decided to do something drastic, and he actually appeared to a church sexton. I'm going to read this for you. This is incredible. The sexton squeezed his eyes as he peered into the dimness. Coming towards him was the old Dutchman himself, Peter Stuyvesant, with his walking stick raised menacingly in the air. The sexton took up running, screaming for help. 
Neighbors were roused from their sleep and ran to the church. Then the bells atop St. Mark's began to ring out wildly. With the shaking sextant in tow, a small band of onlookers hurried to the large front door. With lanterns lit, they stood hesitantly while the bells continued to peal. As they shone their lanterns upwards, they saw to their astonishment that the bell rope had been broken off. It was as if some sort of superhuman agent had literally torn it off. What makes this story creepy, Tom, and you're blue to me. <laughs> yes, I'm what makes it, yes. What makes it, uh, you know, creepy and a little hilarious is that Peter Stuyvesant was extremely irritable in life. So it's really no surprise that he would be equally as irritable in the grave and mm. continues to be irritable. So we've gotten so we've had a we have a flapper we have an old spinster we have a disgruntled peg-legged man and what else do we have up our ghostly sleeves well i feel like perhaps introducing you to the late 19th century early 20th century empresario david belasco this is probably this belasco this is probably new york's best known ghost story or one of thanks for the pressure (laughs) so you better sell it kid (laughs) no i mean david belasco well first of all his theater is on west 44th street Mm -hmm. 111 west 44th street the heart of the theater district that theater it's a big place it's got Mm -hmm. 1018 seats so david belasco who was born in san francisco Mm -hmm. moved to new york city he was a he was that kind of 19th century style showman that really doesn't exist anymore he was a writer he was a director he was a producer and then he even built his own theater i mean this Mm -hmm. guy was dedicated to theater went so far even when he built the belasco theater to build himself an apartment a 10-room apartment above it oh so he he really lived a showman's (laughs) life he was incredible. He built his theater in 1907 and spent all of his days there writing and directing and producing. Mm-hmm. Upstairs, his 10-room apartment was really kind of over the top. It was lavish. He was a ladies' man, of uh-huh. course. He even had... Um, well, he got up to some mischief up there with the ladies. He would interview them on what they called his casting couch. Oh, we all know what that means. Who hasn't spent an <laughs> afternoon on the casting couch? The man was tall. He was flamboyant. He was known as the Bishop of Broadway mm-hmm. uh, because rather sacrilegiously, I think, he dressed with a cleric's collar and a robe. <laughs> Can't you just see this man? That's, he was uh, incredible. Yeah, that's pretty ambitious. That's pretty ambitious of him. He died in 1931, Mm -hmm. but his ghost has never really left the building. (laughs) It's one of the most famous, it's Mm -hmm. one of the most reliable shows on Broadway. The the ghost even has a nickname. They call it the Monk. Oh. You know, because of the cape, because of the appearance. Mm -hmm. And he shows up still to this day all the time. There are so many occurrences, so many reports of Mm -hmm. the Monk showing up he's usually showing up when a cast member steps out on stage looks up into the balcony and sees a monk-like character sitting with a cape sitting in the balcony alone in the dark and watching the and watching the rehearsal other audience (laughs) other other times he's appeared you know different ways i mean sometimes it's a little bit more vague like they'll smell his cigar Uh uh-huh burning when clearly you can't smoke inside and nobody's smoking around or all of a sudden all the doors on the set will just open or close or the curtain 
will start fluttering mm-hmm. and there'll be no wind showing up. You know, he he plays around a little bit. Right. There's also a you know, there's an account here in one of the books I was reading about the stage doorman who sits there with his dog mm-hmm. and every day at four PM, four PM, almost exactly at four PM, the dog starts growling at something. Nobody can ever see, but it happens every day at about four. four and that was huh. saw us when David would come back into the theater. Oh. I'm glad to know he still uses the door. <laughs> well, he could just float through a wall like Olive did, but he no, chose but not to. The, the monk goes through the door. But he has not always been so distant or mysterious. I mean, the ghost of Belasco has been also known to walk straight up to actors on stage and offer them advice or encouragement. <laughs> and some of, you know, New York's most respected old-time actors mm-hmm. actually... They look forward to Belasco encounters because it's usually a good omen. I mean, really? this is how commonplace <laughs> these these occurrences are. Some actresses complain because he pinches them in the rear end, but for the most part, he seems to behave himself. Other cast members mm-hmm. have been have reported hearing parties going on upstairs in the apartment. Mm-hmm. People walking around in the apartment, fights happening. In fact, David had his share of romantic encounters okay. with with the olives of his well, time. The, the cat was uh, so. You, I guess you can still hear the cat the casting couch. Maybe. The cat Casting couch, but but also you can hear the fights. There's actually a, a woman who they a, a female ghost is also in the Belasco. They call her the Blue Lady, and she's also been seen in different parts of the theater. And, and she was seen in dressing room also as just a sort of blue, hazy mm-hmm. woman standing in the corner, enough to freak me out. During <laughs> uh, a recent production of Dracula, actually, if you remember a couple years ago, I Dracula, do remember that. Right, the, appropriate. Right, the cast actually heard a fight happening backstage and they went back to find it and it was the voice of a man and a woman screaming at each other and it was coming from behind the portrait of David. And there were, But they were going around to the others. There was nothing behind it. And, and this was arguing. multiple people heard this. The cast. Yes. <laughs> and it, that, was, it wasn't a show going on next door. It was, it was, was them. It was them. Um, yeah. Yeah, for some reason, I, it makes me want to go there and I check know. it out. Yeah, so if you're... <laughs> Around 44th Street, swing by. Well, here's the thing is you you can check out the Belasco. You can check right. out St. Mark's on the Bowery. You can check out the New Amsterdam and the Morris Jumel Mansion. You can all go there and see for yourselves. We also have very quickly a few places that you can also go. We'll just tell you really briefly about the ghost you may see there. There's the Algonquin Hotel, very close to the... Belasco, actually. Just a block, I believe. The Algonquin Hotel is actually best known for the Oak Room, where uh, the round table met. The group of wits and writers would sit Led around. Led by Dorothy Parker. And many of them are supposedly still there mm. in the Oak Room. Uh, people like uh, you know Robert Bentley, Alexander Walcott, Edna Ferber. You may see one of their ghosts there. Similarly, in a previous podcast, we talk about Washington Square. Mm-hmm. And as you may recall, Washington Square Park was built atop a graveyard, a mass burial ground. And actually, when they put up the Grand Arch, they discovered many skeletons underneath when mm-hmm. they were digging to put the posts in. So there are no shortage of sightings and stories surrounding spirits swirling about Washington mm-hmm. Square. And not to keep cross-promoting. Cross-promoting podcasts, but the Dakota Apartments is also a very haunted place. Uh, John Lennon, of course, was shot there in uh, 1980, but he's actually rumored his ghost 
the ghost of a beetle, is rumored to be haunting the area around the Undertaker's Gate. And, of course, the building itself is so creepy. You don't even need a ghost. And plus, you know, they filmed Rosemary's Baby there. You just right. get a chill walking by it. Back down in the West Village, if you have a chance, you can grab a beer at the White Horse Tavern on Hudson Street. And the White Horse Tavern is also the location where famed author Dylan Thomas passed away at a table. Yes. Right? And you can actually go... And and the place is great. I mean, it it is nineteenth century, old yeah. school. Great wood tables. Feels a little creepy inside already. You could just ask anybody there which table is Dylan's table, and he's probably still there, right? <laughs> if he's not sitting there, you can sit there yourself and see if you can kill yourself with booze like he did. <laughs> Finally, while you're in the village, stop by a very one of the most romantic restaurants in the city. It's called One If by Land, Two If by Sea. It used to be. Aaron Bird's carriage house. Now, you know, up his ex-wife is uptown haunting a, a mansion. He, meanwhile, is haunting his old carriage house mm. and has frequently been seen and ruined more than one romantic date, let me tell you. Also haunting there is his daughter, Theodosa, who has a penchant for jewels. Many female patrons of the restaurant have reported jewelry, earrings, and rings have mysteriously disappeared Check the bus boys. <laughs> but if it's not the bus boys, maybe it's a ghost. So I think that's a little starter course of the ghosts of New York City for you. Well, it looks like our candle is about to burn out, <laughs> but we thank you for joining us tonight on our little exploration into New York's spooky past. And uh, thank you for very much for listening. Have a great New York and a great spooky week, whether you live here or not. See you next week. <laughs>